Welcome to Holistic History, The Fall of Celtic Britain. I am Jim Frost, and this is Episode 3. In the last episode, we outlined the course of the wars the Britons fought against their foreign enemies during the reign of the monarch Vortigern, including the massacre of Vortigern's supporters by Hengist and his men. This led to a coup that propelled Ambrosius Aurelianus to power. I believe that this happened around the year 470. There is very little information on Ambrosius, so we will begin by examining a theory I believe to be wrong, but which is fairly well known and deserves to be mentioned. This theory was first presented by Leon Florio. He identified Ambrosius as being identical to Riothamus. Riothamus means most kingly, so Florio argued it was a title, not a name. Once again, just as with Vortigern, which means over king and is also said to have been a title, this ignores Celtic nomenclature that did produce such names. There is a surviving letter written to Riothamus by the Bishop of Claremont, which implies he was a ruler in Brittany, not Britain. Florio gets around this by saying he had authority over both. According to the 6th century historian Jordanus, sometime around the year 470 to 472, the Western Roman Emperor Anthemius made an alliance with Riothamus, who then led an army of 12,000 men against the Visigoths in Gaul. Riothamus was defeated after a fierce battle and forced to retreat. There are no surviving sources that cover Brittany in the 5th century. However, there is a reference to a prince in Brittany named Riothamus who lived in the 6th century. This is too late for it to have been the man in question, but this does prove not only that it was a name, but that the name was used by Breton royalty. There is actually no good reason to believe that Riothamus lived in Britain. That did not stop Florio from presenting his theory, nor did it stop Geoffrey Ashe from insisting on an even more far-fetched theory that Riothamus was actually King Arthur. Turning to what we are told of Ambrosius himself, according to Gildas, who was a propagandist for the Roman faction in Britain, the Britons had been losing to the Anglo-Saxons in Vortigern's day, but Ambrosius was able to halt their advance and establish a stalemate. This is a biased oversimplification. As was stated in the last episode, the evidence clearly indicates that Vortigern's son Vortimer had established a stalemate, which led to the Anglo-Saxon leader Hengist devising an ambush, the same ambush that paved the way for Ambrosius's coup. The surviving evidence suggests that what followed was a period of peace, at least between the Britons and the Anglo-Saxons, but that peace did not last long. Under the date of 477 in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, there is an entry that states Ali arrived with three ships and defeated the Britons in battle. This was the first step in establishing the Kingdom of Sussex and in making Ali the first Bretvalda, or High King of the Anglo-Saxons. Most Saxons had remained on the mainland of Europe. The passage indicates that Ali was not part of the Saxon community that had already settled in Britain, but was from the continental group. Saxons had been settled in Sussex, but the fact that Ali and his men battled Britons indicates that the Britons still ruled that area, at least until Ali started to carve out his kingdom. The arrival of Ali set off another round of fighting, a round that favored the Anglo-Saxons. In circa 480, the Angle leader Winta established the kingdom of Lindsay in southern Lincolnshire while Ali is credited with another victory in 485. In 488, Oisk became the ruler of the Jutes in Kent. Germanic peoples of this period did not have family names, with royal families being the only notable exception. They named themselves after illustrious ancestors. The royal house of Kent called themselves the Oiskingas, that is, descendants of Oisk. He was either the son or grandson of Hengist, who is usually said to have founded the kingdom of Kent. I believe that Hengist was a noble who was a vassal of the monarchs of the Britons, and Oisk was the first ruler of the independent kingdom. 
The string of Anglo-Saxon victories continued with Ali and his son Sissa, who massacred the British garrison at the fort of Anderida at Pevensey. There is no more information on Ambrosius's wars against the Anglo-Saxons, and no information at all on his wars against the Irish and the Picts, but there is information on a civil war. After Vortigern was killed, Ambrosius made a man named Cadale the noble of Powys, Vortigern's province. Vortigern's only surviving son, Passant, rebelled, being based in his family's stronghold in the south of the province. Tradition states that he fought both Cadale and the rulers of Gwynedd, which makes sense as the House of Gwynedd was a Roman family, and as was argued in episode 1, they were in the Roman faction. According to Geoffrey of Monmouth, who admittedly is not a very reliable source, Passant was originally forced into exile, but then raised a mercenary army in Ireland and returned to Britain to raise his rebellion. A line in the history of the Britons states that Ambrosius granted the land to Passant. This is clearly propaganda. The monarch would not have granted land to an enemy. The reality appears to be that the rebellion ended in a stalemate. Passant was too weak to expand his power base, but the Roman faction was too weak to overrun that power base. In strategic terms, a rebellion that ended in a stalemate would have been a limited victory for the rebels. The government must crush a rebellion, or else the rebels win. Even if they don't get everything they want, they still win. So Ambrosius did what monarchs in that situation always used to do. He pretended to accept the rebel as a vassal. He officially granted the land. But this was just papering over the cracks. He lost. In fact, of all the wars we know of involving the Roman faction, they lost all of them. This is true not only of Ambrosius' reign, but also of his father's defeat, which was mentioned in episode 1. We are told only one more thing about Ambrosius Aurelianus. Passant paid a serving woman to poison his food, assassinating him. This was no doubt the result of the fact that when Ambrosius killed Vortigern, he started a blood feud. Many people accept Gildas's version that Ambrosius was a hero, despite the complete lack of evidence that he ever did anything heroic. It is often said that he passed into legend, but that is deceptive. As far as we know, he only got one legend, which was recorded in the history of the Britons, which is not where popular legends were written down. The source is also suspect. It was written in the 820s, when Wales was embroiled in a feud between northern Welsh kingdoms and southern Welsh kingdoms. After Ambrosius was overthrown, Cadale lost his position as noble of Powys, with the province going to Vortigern's grandson, Britu, whose descendants still ruled it in the 820s. Powys was in northern Wales, but the history of the Britons was written in the south. We cannot trust a southern Welsh source when it comes to the founder of a northern Welsh dynasty. For our purposes, a legend shall be defined as a story from oral tradition involving a hero who is thought to have been real, but whose authenticity cannot always be verified. The story is set in the real world, but may contain magical elements. The legend in question is about the feud between Vortigern and Ambrosius. It also contains obvious and sloppy propaganda. It says that Ambrosius did not have an earthly father. His mother claimed she never slept with a man, but a spirit visited her in a dream. Nine months later, she gave birth to the hero Ambrosius. But the ending contradicts this when Ambrosius claimed his father was a Roman consul. Firstly, most legends do not contain propaganda, raising the possibility that this was not a real legend at all, but a piece of propaganda that was written as a legend. The way I read it is that the mother's statement that she never slept with a man is very important. Taken literally, this would mean a virgin birth, and therefore messianic propaganda, depicting Ambrosius as a savior like Jesus. But it was also essential to get across the idea that he was Roman. But Romans traced descent through men and not through women. So if a Roman woman married a non-Roman, their children were not Roman. But if a Roman man married a non-Roman, their children were Roman. 
Ambrosius's father had to be Roman, even if that contradicted the messianic imagery. Saying that he was a, a consul connected him to imperial authority and therefore gave him a claim to political legitimacy. Not only is this Ambrosius's only legend, he could not even keep it. In the 12th century, it was rewritten and the reference to the father being a consul was taken out and this became Merlin's origin story. To sum up, the reign of Ambrosius Aurelianus was a military failure. He lost territory to the Anglo-Saxons and part of Wales when Vortigern's son Passant carved out a province for himself. He was then killed as a result of a blood feud he had started. The sources that depict him as a hero are propaganda put out by his faction. Please join us next episode when we will cover the reign of a real hero, King Arthur. This has been Holistic History, The Fall of Celtic Britain. Until next time, I hope you stay safe.